The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at just two verses in this section here I read this morning. Verse 6 and verse 7. If you'll turn there, please. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 reads, As you therefore have received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. You notice he's not telling you, he's telling you that God has done something for you, and therefore this is our response, that we are to walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. It is true that, that we have a Thanksgiving holiday this week, but that, this Thanksgiving, the, this text is talking about, is something that's to be with us all the time because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ commissioned his followers to go into all the world. Remember that? The Great Commission and to make disciples, Matthew 28. In giving this commission, he made it clear that making disciples meant bringing them individuals to, play, to a place of spiritual maturity, characterized by obedience to Christ's commands. The Apostle Paul described the goal of this maturation process here in verse 7, and he says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, that we should, be, we should be able to present every man complete in Christ. That is, a person should grow to the place, a believer should grow to the place where they have absolute confidence in what Christ has done for them. And in this passage, he tells us what he's done for us in four participles. Remember participles when you were in grammar school? There are four participles here. These are verbal adjectives. They're basically describing what we are. And all God's wanting you to do is just acknowledge what you are by his work. You can't make it happen. It's, it's funny, you know, the Sermon on the Mount begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. And a lot of times you'll hear that passage preached and somebody says, you need to you need to make sure that you get to the place where you're poor in spirit. No, you don't. It's saying this is what the members of the kingdom of God are. They are poor in spirit. They recognize what their need really is. And here, what he's talking about is what Christ has done for us. And he wants us to count it to be true. He wants us not to resist it in our daily life, but instead to embrace it. And he starts off this way, having been firmly rooted in Christ. Now, we don't use the word rooted quite this way, but it's talking about our union with Christ. We are rooted in Christ. We are united with him in such a way that we experience the new birth. We experience the new birth by our union with Jesus Christ. His life comes and he dwells within us. This is a, a tense that implies, I'll go ahead and tell you what the tense is. The tense is a perfect tense. Perfect tense means this. Something happened and it's completed it's once for all, and now there are ongoing effects. You know, like the last place you moved to? And for about a week we go, oh, I can't believe we did that. We moved to this street, this neighborhood. But it's, it was done. And now you live in that situation. That's what he's talking about, having been rooted in Christ. So this is a once-for-all experience that has ongoing effects. The ongoing effects are all the things that are true about you because because you're united with Christ. The implication is of this concept of for being firmly rooted is being strong and healthy. You ever plant a tree? And you remember, and uh, some of you are probably like I am, I've planted trees too, but they always die. I have an idea. 
but uh, when you plant a tree, you want it to be firmly rooted so that it, it grows. It's strong and healthy. Listen to this. This is Ephesians 3. It says, Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. He actually, he actually wants us, God actually wants us to be absolutely solid in our understanding that God has loved us, to know the height and breadth and length, to know it. What does it mean that God has loved us? Well, he sent Christ Jesus for us. And now we have entered into his family. We have been rooted into Christ. And then the next thing he mentions is being built up in him. This is our proof of union with Christ. And, and the, he changes tenses here. He says, this is going on right now. We are being built up in him. This is, uh, indicates continual process. We're always being built up in Christ. It's, and he says, we should understand that this is the only way that our lives can be functional if we are experiencing this being built up in him. When it came to building a building, when this was used of building a building like we were building a church building, it referred to the fact that it was to come to the place where it was inhabitable. Get it? You know, you're going to build a house, but you've got to get it to the place where you can move in. And so he says what God is doing is he's, he's building us up so that Christ can live within us. And then he, the third thing is he talks about is being established in your faith. Now, faith is used in a couple of ways, used in an objective way and a subjective way. We believe certain things, and we call that the faith. In fact, Jude calls the New Testament the faith. And what he means by that, this is the content of our faith. This is what we believe about Christ. But faith also has the idea of trust, our confidence in Christ. And so we are being established in our faith so that we can come to have absolute confidence in Christ. This is to cause something to be known as certain. You ever have, you ever have doubts about things that you at first believe and then you wonder if it's true as you go along? Well, this means it's been, it's been absolutely confirmed to verify He's proved to us the truth and certainty, and he confirms the fact that we have been joined to Christ and the, the faith that we have. Now, if we talked about the, the content of our faith, we would talk about the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, and we would talk about his ascension to the Father and his soon return. He's made a promise that he's coming back. Uh, and if, you were to, if we were to go back to the last chapter in Mark, which is Mark 16, go back to Mark 16 and then look at the last two verses, actually verses 19 and 20. Look at that just a second. This is amazing. What he says is this, So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, this was when he was still with his disciples here after the resurrection, after he had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Now, what that means is that he has taken a seat of ultimate authority. He is seated at the right hand of God, the place of authority over all of creation. But then he says in verse 20, and they went out, that is the disciples that he left. He ascended right before their eyes and they watched him, remember? They looked up and they kept watching and somebody came up, an angel actually came up and said, what are you, what are you looking at? He's coming back in the same way that he left. And sit, but get this, it says, they went out after he ascended to the right hand of the Father. It says, they, that is the disciples, went out and preached everywhere, which is wonderful. But then he goes on and says, while the Lord worked with them. The Lord worked with them. 
You know, we talk a lot about uh, witnessing, being, bearing witness of the resurrection of Christ, of his, who he is, what he has done for us, his death, burial, and resurrection. But we need to be always understanding that it's God who works with us. The reason that God brings people into your path that you have the opportunity to share the gospel with is because God is working with you. And then, and then it says, in, actually this is in parentheses because there's some doubt about the, whether this text was in the original text because it appeared in later versions. He sa- it says, and they promptly reported all these instructions to Peter and his companions. And after that, Jesus himself sent out through them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of the eternal sal- salvation. Somehow I like that phrase, don't you? It's talking about the, the, the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it calls it the imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. That's what we declare to people, that Christ died for your sins and he was buried and rose again. There's one more thing back in Colossians 2, and that's found in verse 7, the last part of verse 7, and that is overflowing with thankfulness, thanksgiving. See, when you look at this, you can see that all of these terms imply that the believer should have a solidness and stability of character that endures the pressures of life and the winds of doctrine that flow through the church, as Ephesians says. There's always something blowing through the church, some new thing. You, you can find it really fast if you go on YouTube. You can find all about the prosperity gospel and all kinds of things. There's all kinds of garbage that blow through churches. But he has given us a firmness that we can believe the, believe the truth. By the way, we believe this book here is inspired. This is the Bible, the Old and New Testament. And so our confidence is in what Christ has given to us. We understand that he used men just like he uses people to bring people to Christ. Have you noticed that? Every one of you, somebody talked to you about the gospel. Some human being talked to you about the gospel. God uses people. But he also works. He also is the one who does the work on the heart. He's the one who gives people confidence in the message. There's a, and back in Isaiah 53, it starts off this way. It says, who has believed our report? Well, the word report means who's believed our verbal message that we have proclaimed? What's he talking about? He's talking about the testimony of God. What has God testified concerning his son? He's, he has testified that his son is the eternal son of God and that he sent him into the world in order to stand in the place of sinners and to pay the penalty for their sins so that they could be reconciled to God. We're told, for example, in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, it says, this is the testimony of the Father, that he's given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son, and whoever has the son has the life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And so we receive this eternal life. And he tells us in John 17 that the purpose of eternal life is that we can know God. He wants us to actually have a personal relationship with him. And so this this last thing that he mentions is we are overflowing with thankfulness. I think this is one of the most important truths in the Bible about the Christian life. That we're supposed to be people who are characterized by overflowing thankfulness. That is joyful gratitude. We're supposed to be characterized by that. Now, sometimes we're not good at it. I'm talking about myself. You know what I mean? Somebody would watch you and watch what's going on, and they wouldn't think, 
Well, there's a lot of overflowing of thankfulness in that guy, Thanksgiving. They might say it's an overflow of something else. This is a present tense, and it's talking about a habitual thing that we continually have joy. He's called us to have joy. Um, so we're to, this is to be something that we are characterized by continually. What, would, what in the world would make us thankful? What would make us joyfully thankful? Oh, something small, like, you know, that the Father sent the Son into the world to die in your place, to purchase your salvation, to give you this gift. You remember in Ephesians 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And so you wonder, well, how has he blessed me? Well, he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing. You try to name it. That would be interesting. Start writing down how many blessings you know about. How many heavenly blessings do you know about? He says, every one of them were given to you through Christ. That's what he's done for us. And that's why we should be happy. That's why we should have thanksgiving. That's why we should have joyful gratitude towards God. And it's something that's going like this. In fact, Lighthouse, an old English biblical scholar that you've probably heard of before, said this is the end of human conduct. That what he means by that, this is the ultimate expression of what you, who you are as a child of God, that you have thanksgiving. Now, it's like they say, you know, sometimes if you're happy, you should tell your face, because sometimes it doesn't show, right? It is right now. Now you're smiling. But uh, it's amazing. This deep sense of thankfulness to God is supposed to be ours continually. It's the, it's the key to stability. Have you ever seen flighty people, flighty Christians, that at one time they're this way and sometimes they're that way? You never know what's going to happen. Well, he says the thing that will give you stability is a thankfulness to God, a joyful gratitude towards God. So not only should every believer in the church receive personal attention and be grounded in the truth, every believer should have a common characteristic, and that is joyful gratitude. Gratitude towards God for what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to show you something. Um, first of all, let me, let me show you something over in 1 Peter. Turn to 1 Peter just a second. I could just quote this to you, but I want your eyes to lay on it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. This ought to be one of your memory verses. You should circle this in your Bible. What it says is this. Though you have not seen him. Now, Peter's writing to people who had not seen him. He's writing to some people who had become Christians after the resurrection of Christ, and now they're on the run because of persecution, kind of like a lot of the Chinese Christians are right now. And he says, though you have not seen him. Now, Peter's writing this, and Peter has seen him. But he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. How in the world is that possible? How could you love Christ if you've never seen him? But that's exactly what he says. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now that is a strong statement, isn't it? He's saying this, that even though you've never seen Christ and you're not seeing him now, when you put your faith in him, when you are believing him as a manner of life, your heart is filled with joy. In fact, joy inexpressible and full of glory. Joy inexpressible means you just can't, you can't describe it. Now, one of the reasons I know this is true is in the Bible. That's the main reason. The other reason is I have met so many Christians that are characterized by joyful gratitude. They just can't help it. 
you start asking them to tell you about how they became a Christian or what the relationship with Christ is like, and they begin to tell you about the things that make them so deeply thankful to God for what he has done for them. I love to be around Christians who are filled with joyful gratitude. I, I love it when you get with Christians and you start praying and they start expressing joyful gratitude to God because they're so overwhelmed by what God has done for them. And as you know, we don't deserve it, but he's given it to us as a gift. And he says that we are to be characterized by it. Now, this is not a command that you be joyful. It's a fact. It's a fact that God has done for you that things that if you know them, if you understand them, you will be filled with joyful gratitude. And if you say, well, I don't have any, well, maybe you don't understand what Christ has done for you. Maybe you don't understand about the depth of God's love for you. Because when you do, you will have gratitude. You just need to stop, you need to stop resisting it. This is who you are. You are people who've been bought with a price. And, and Paul says, therefore, glorify God in your body. Give him glory in all that you do. Because he is a glorious, glorious Savior. Uh, most of you have heard of John, John Piper. He calls his theology um, Christian, Christian hedonism. <laughs> That's it. Hedonism is the, is, the, is the belief that pleasure is the most important thing in life and that you should always be seeking pleasure. What happened to him is he came to discover that that's actually true. It's just that you have to understand that real pleasure, true pleasure is pleasure in God. That the pleasures of the other parts of life fade in insignificance in comparison to the pleasure that you have in knowing Jesus Christ. And so what God wants you to do is he, he wants you to embrace this pleasure, but he wants you to embrace the pleasure of, of being in Christ Jesus, of your relationship with Christ, of what Christ has done for you. And that will give you a life that's characterized by grateful joy, grateful thanksgiving and gratitude. Now, over in Matthew 13, verse, verse 44, it says, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus speaking. I know that because it's a red letter verse. <laughs> so the, Jesus is saying this, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and from joy over it, from joy over it. In other words, he examined it a little bit, and he had such joy over it that he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. What does that remind you of? What, what parable does it remind you of that Jesus told? Or what incident in his life, actually, wasn't a parable. But he met a man, we call him the rich young ruler, remember that? And he says, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus starts asking him some questions. He said, well, obey the commandments. And he says, I've done that since I was a child. I've kept perfect obedience to all the commandments. And Jesus looked at him. And it's amazing in the account, it says that Jesus was sad because he loved him and he knew he was kidding himself. And Jesus says to him, you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And you know what happened was he didn't know this verse. He didn't know the truth of this verse. He didn't know that this was a treasure that would be worth everything he has 
the treasure that Jesus was offering him was a present manifestation of the kingdom of God, that he could follow Jesus. And yet he didn't. And so he misses out on one of the greatest treasures in all of, all of, all of life. Now it tells us here that this man who found this treasure in a field, he saw it had such incredible glory and value, he goes and sells everything he has and goes and buys this field so he could, so he could possess this treasure, the kingdom of God. He says, that's what the kingdom of God is like. It has such value that you would give, if you actually saw it and knew what it was, you would give everything you have in all of life in order to have this. And that's what you received freely by faith. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you received the kingdom of God through faith in him, through relationship with him. That's what he's called us to. And... Um, over in, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, it says this. And this, this is the other side of this. This is what we tend to do if we're not careful. And in, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12, it's on verse 13, I'm, I'm sorry. It says, for my people have committed two evils. My people have committed two evils. And you're expecting him to tell you two incredible sins they've committed. What were they? What sins did they commit that were so horrible? Look at it. What does it say? They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. You have to have water to live, don't you? And he says to them, I'm, like, I'm the water of life. Remember? And he says here, he's talking to Israel. He says, my people have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And the second sin is, they did it to hew for themselves, cisterns. Now, a cistern is not a lady Christian. <laughs> a cistern is a hole in the ground where you store water in a rock. It says, they, but they're broken cisterns. They dig a hole to put their water, but it's got a hole in it. It can't hold water. So it wasn't, it, 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 they wanted it to hold water. Do you get what he's saying? They've rejected me, the fountain of living water. I'm the source of life. But they rejected him. They didn't want to have to receive life from him. And so he says they commit these two great sins. First, they reject the fountain of living water. And then second, they dig cisterns for themselves. And guess what? Those cisterns are going to leak from now on, and they're never going to hold water. You get what he's trying to illustrate? He's talking about life. God is the source of life for you. He gave you life through faith in Christ. Simply by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, you received eternal life. And what we ought to do is the response ought to be joyful gratitude. We have been filled up by Jesus Christ. And God wants us to be permeated with praise as we live our life for Christ, to become thankful. And uh, this is what this is really the, the, the purpose of discipleship, is that you would come to be a person who understands what God has done for you to such a degree that you cannot stop the gratitude, the joy that's flowing out of you. I one time had an opportunity, I've told you about it before, I'm repeating myself, but that's okay, won't hurt you. Uh, I was witnessing to my son-in-law's father. He had had a stroke. I think he was in his 70s. And he had had a stroke, and he was really affected by it. 
And so when he came to visit his son, who lives right next door to me, I was over there talking to him. And he starts telling me, he says, yeah, I really need to turn over a new leaf. And I said, really, why? Well, he, I, he said, I want to go to heaven. And I said, Ralph, because that was his name. <laughs> I said, Ralph, you couldn't, get in, you couldn't earn your way to heaven. The only way you could get to heaven is if God were to give it to you as a gift. And he, he looked down quite sad. and He says, yeah, you're right. In other words, he thought I was saying, you know, you're such a scoundrel. There's no way you could get in heaven unless God would just give it to you as a gift. He thought I was just telling him, you'll never make it. And I said, and that's exactly what he's done. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news that God sent his son into the world to die for Ralph Refner. And that if you turn to him in faith and receive this gift, he'll give you heaven along with the life in his presence. And I said to him, would you like to receive that? He says, yeah. I said, okay, well, let me, let's do this. Why don't you, let's, I'll pray for you, and then you just pray, and you tell God exactly what you want. Just tell him what you want. And I said, remember, the only way, the reason you can receive it is because of what Christ has done. And he said, okay. So I bow my head, and I pray for him, and, I, and then I just stopped, and he started praying. I didn't give him something to pray. He just started praying. Father, thank you for sending your son into the world to die for me. I want to receive this gift that you offer me in Christ. Amen. (laughs) And I looked at him, and he jumped on me. I mean, literally, he hugged me, and he said to me, this is what he said to me, and this is why I want to tell the story. He wraps his arms around me, and he's a strong guy. He was a strong guy. He's in heaven now. But he grabbed me and he squeezed me and he says, I've never been so happy in all my life. That's all the evidence I needed. You see, that is the evidence of the new birth. It's this this gratitude, joyful gratitude to God because of what you've received by faith, simply by trusting him by believing his son, by putting your faith in his son, that he's the only one who could save you. He's the only one who could bring forgiveness of sins. He's the only one who could reconcile you to God so you could spend eternity with him. And so I said, you need to go tell somebody. He says, yeah, I don't know, who should I tell? I said, let's go inside, you tell your son. So we went inside, and Randy was there, and he was doing something. And I said, hey, Randy, your dad needs to talk to you. He said, yeah, just a minute, Dad. I'll be through in just a minute. I said, no, he needs to talk to you right now. Well, he's turned around because he thought something was wrong. He thought maybe he was sick or something. He says, what is it, Dad? And his dad said, Randy, I just got saved. God just saved me. And then he started manifesting joy. I want to tell you, that's, that's what we should be characterized by, is joy. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying that this is, the, this is the consequence of what God has done for you. He has blessed you with such a deep and profound blessing that you should have joy as a characteristic of your life. I've, I've noticed this. I grew up in a church that was very expressive about things, and so when they rejoice, they really rejoice. They, we would call it getting happy. You know, people would get happy and kind of dance around a little bit and talk about how glorious this was. But now I realize, you know what? You might be embarrassed by that, 
But that is exactly what Christ wants to give us. He wants to give us joy so deep and so profound. This is what he has given us, that you can't contain it. I love to hear a 75-year-old guy say to me, I'm, I'm happier than I've ever been in my whole life. Well, he had lived a long life. I'd heard a lot of his stories. He had been in the Navy, and all kinds of things happened. Uh, he went through all kinds of things, and he was basically dying. He died in about six months after that, I think. And, uh, but he was full of joy. God wants you to understand enough about the salvation that he's provided you in Christ Jesus that you could not resist being happy and joyful. You've been blessed. I can't get over that statement in Ephesians 1 when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Every spiritual blessing? Yeah, every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he, then he begins to enumerate, just as, he says, and he begins to enumerate. I'm not going to tell you what he says because it's going to make some of you mad. But, uh, <laughs> but he starts enumerating the blessings. And he starts in eternity past. He says that he set his love on you. Some of you are sitting here and you have a relationship with God and you can't figure out how it happened. And God says, oh, I, I started this, this work. I put it in my GPS back in eternity past. And it was sure to happen. That's the kind of God he is. He's a God who can fill your heart with joy that will last for all eternity. I just think the biggest shame is sometimes it doesn't last in our life here on earth for five minutes. It's almost like we're embarrassed to experience the incredible joy of having Christ as our Savior. That he died for us and he was raised for us and he brought us into this relationship with the Father that's going to last forever and ever and ever and ever. It's never going to stop. You're going to be blessed. In fact, I think some of you are probably going to be dancing in heaven. You're going to be so overwhelmed with joy. Some of you, I think, probably not, because it doesn't matter how good it gets, you're not going to show any expression. <laughs> but it is. It's the most glorious thing in the world that he's done for us. I remember when my son got saved. I remember the joy that I had and he had. And all he did was simply believe on Christ. He just simply put his trust in Christ. And he was a vile sinner at six years old. <laughs> but he was blessed because God gave him a gift. And God's given you a gift. If I had the guts, I'd say, let's take five minutes and about five of you just stand up and tell us how much joy you have because of what God's done in your life. That's the way it should be, shouldn't it? that our hearts should be so full of gratitude that we couldn't help but tell it. That's all witnessing is. It's just expressing your joyful gratitude for what God has done for you. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to me as I've seen, I have seen this happen before, where people turn to Christ and come to faith in him. It's just, it's an overwhelming joy that he has given us. So all I'm saying to you this week is, you can't make yourself do it, but you can stop resisting. You can start actually ruminating on it 
What has God done for me lately? Oh, let's see. Let's see, what has he done for me lately? I guess he sent his son into the world for me, didn't he? And he actually saved me by faith. I didn't pay anything for this. I simply put my trust in Christ. And he saved me for all eternity. And that will never change. That's going to be true for all eternity. You're a blessed people. And we need to act like it. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.